Welcome to the Generations United podcast, where we share insights from experts from the intergenerational field about how these practices improve the lives of children, youth, and older adults, and the communities where they live. I'm your host, Donna Butts, Executive Director of Generations United. I'm really excited about this particular episode because we're going to talk about technology with two incredible experts when it comes to technology and connecting generations. And especially during this time of COVID, we've learned how important it is and how helpful it is for generations to be able to connect online. But it's not that easy for everybody. So that's why we thought we'd have a wonderful conversation with these two experts so that we can talk and learn from them about some of the experiences that might help strengthen intergenerational work around the country. So as I mentioned, I'm delighted for this episode to have two guests, two experts. First is Alex Glazebrook, who's the Director of Operations at Older Adults Technology Services, fondly known as OATS and a wonderful partner and folks that just do some amazing work, not just in New York, but in other places around the country. And Adrian Sutton, who's the Senior Tech Coordinator with DC, Office of the Chief Technology Officer. And Adrian has become a partner on some really innovative work that we have been experimenting with with a technology company. I think the older adults and the young people that he's been working with have just fallen in love with him. So I'm delighted to have both of you. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us, Donna. Thank you. Alex, why don't we start with you? Can you tell me a little bit about how you became involved with older adults and technology? Yeah, that's a good question. That's probably a long answer. I, about 10 years ago, went back to get my master's in social work. One of the populations I was always underserved, but not really given enough notice or attention were older adults. So I actually came to Oates when I was finishing my master's in social work, originally as an intern. And now it's close to 10 years later, I've been working here. So it kind of stuck with you if it's been 10 years. That's great. Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah. (laughs) The uh, organization has changed a lot since I've been here, so it's been a roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And Adrian, what about you? How did you come to this? I used to work for Mayor Bowser. I worked under her Office of Community Relations and Services, where I was essentially her eyes and ears for a certain part of D.C. So I would go to a lot of community meetings handle constituent concerns. And a lot of those constituents are age-friendly. That's what we like to call our older people, age-friendly generations. And so I just built relationships from there. I was already my grandmother's caretaker. So seniors kind of have like a sweet spot in my heart. That's wonderful. So you have that personal connection as well as what you were doing for the mayor, which is fabulous. Well, let's jump into it. I wondered if each of you could say a little bit about what you've learned about older adults and their engagement online, especially during this time of COVID. Has it changed since before the pandemic? The work that Senior Planet, which is a program of OATS, a lot of seniors know OATS as Senior Planet, so I should clarify what that means. But I think since COVID, our programs have really become more of a critical resource. Before COVID, a lot of it, I think being online and staying connected was important. But now... I think people really appreciate sort of the work we're doing at a different level. And I think it's really adding a different kind of dimension of impact to people from, you know, accessing healthcare to staying connected with friends and family who are far away. It just means more now. And frankly, actually, Oats as an organization wasn't really doing that much work online prior to COVID. So we've actually migrated all of our programs that used to be in person online. So it's been a very big change for us. So if somebody were to ask you in a brief description, how would you describe OATS? That's a good question. OATS is basically the nonprofit 
organization that provides opportunities for people to connect with technology in order to change their lives. So we're trying to use technology for change. So all of our programs have a technology theme, but they're really meant to do more, whether it's in financial security or health and wellness, we tie technology to specific impact and and outcome. And Adrian, could you talk a little bit about older adult engagement and how it's changed or helped during COVID? And I think it might be also interesting for people to hear a little bit about what it is you do in the DC office and what the chief technology officer is focused on. I'm based in a group or organization called Connect DC. And Connect DC is the city's digital inclusion initiative. And that's under Octo, which is the office of the chief technology officer. My current CTO is Lindsay Parker. So essentially, one of the things that I get praised a lot for is because I had a senior tech workshop where I was teaching senior citizens how to become millennials with their smart devices. Older adults are busy individuals. They have a lot of meetings, a lot of appointments, reoccurring meetings, reoccurring appointments. And now that everything is digital, they don't want to miss out on those appointments. So I found that they are working harder or there's a stronger interest to learn this technology that kind of already been in their faces. So they're more eager to learn. And do you find that too, Alex, that the older adults have been coming to Senior Planet or involved with OATS are more eager to learn? You know, in a lot of ways, I think we stereotype people who are older as not wanting to learn. You know, they're just ready for sort of a complacency. And everyone that we work with is really engaged, super active, sort of what Adrian was talking about. These are busy people that have very, very full lives and learning doesn't stop just because you turn 60 or 70 or 80 or 90. And people want to, I think, maintain their engagement and technology is a big way of doing that. So yeah, we have a lot of eagerness and a lot of energy in all of our programs. And just to piggyback on what Alex said a little bit, I noticed that a lot of seniors you know, if their friends are on Zoom, then that would encourage them to get on Zoom because they don't want to be left behind with their peers. So there's still that peer pressure to, you know, hey, somebody says this is cool or this is a great way to stay connected. I want to do it, too. Right. Yeah. I remember back in the early days of what we'd oftentimes hear is that older adults wanted to learn more about technology because they wanted to go on Facebook so that they could follow their grandkids. And then the grandkids, of course, migrated to something else, but they were still on Facebook because they were having so much fun connecting with each other. Yeah, it's true. Facebook's (laughs) still a big platform for older demographics. You know, one thing I wonder if you two have thought about is we also feel like we're missing people, like we're maybe missing some of the people that could benefit the most from the engagement that they could get because they don't have access to either the appropriate technology or the internet. And then they feel sort of overwhelmed by the device or they don't feel comfortable using it or they're just afraid of it. So I wondered if you had any hints about how you've successfully sort of overcome some of those obstacles that might help some of our listeners when they're thinking about what they can do. One, it's sort of those people that are not the easy pick the low-hanging fruit that are digitally savvy, but other folks, and then how do we help them become comfortable? Digital divide is a real thing, right? And it's like the internet has a cost to it, unfortunately, but even if the internet was 100% free, then you still have to teach people how to use the internet and how to use these smart devices. So in DC, we encourage programs to start thinking about digital literacy education. We try to bring awareness to programs that have worked in the past, not just our programs, but just different nonprofits throughout the city. But I think it's really like a group effort because like I said, you know, half the battle is getting people internet. Then another half is teaching people, you know, how to use your smart device. Then you got to explain what cookies is and what the cloud is. So my answer would be just to bring awareness to programs that are already working along that line. 
But, you know, I always say if you're a grandchild, then you have a duty to your grandparent to at least teach them how to work their flashlight or send a picture. Alex, what about you? When you look at the three legs of the digital inclusion stool, which is what Adrian was just basically talking about, it's connectivity, it's devices, and it's training. So I think what we're trying to do is create sort of a wraparound network of support for people so they can still get training. We're linking them to low-cost internet options, and we're giving them options to find cheaper refurbished devices so you can really round out that three-pronged stool. You know, because if you're missing any one of those three pieces, it's very difficult. If you don't have the internet connectivity, that's a huge problem. If you don't have a device, that's a huge problem. And if you can't actually get trained and become competent, then you don't use it and adoption never sort of takes hold. I know a project that we're working with in Detroit, we were just talking about this today, that for a lot of older adults, the way they access the internet or what they have available is their phone and they oftentimes have limited minutes. And so it's, are there other ways that they can access the internet? Because that seems to me to be one of the big barriers that I think when the COVID pandemic first started, several companies gave free access and then Obviously, their business is not providing free access, so that's eliminated. So I don't know if you've heard anything from any of the people that you're working with about any ways that they've creatively found to be able to access the Internet. There's a lot of good low-cost options if you're older, if you're low-income. That actually existed before the pandemic, but they're becoming, I think, a little bit more well-known now. There are certain municipalities, like in New York, we're partnering with the New York City Housing Authority to... They gave out 10,000 internet-connected tablets to older adults living alone in public housing in the five boroughs of New York. So certain municipalities and large cities are starting to kind of catch on and say, hey, this actually, even though the upfront cost is pretty substantial to get devices and connectivity in people's hands, the long-term effects are worth it. So it's a mixed answer, but you know there are low-cost options and there are governments actually taking hold of this, taking charge of it. Actually, Adrian, we're working with the mayor's office of the chief technology officer in New York to do that project. So it's probably kind of the corollary to you guys in D.C. In D.C., Comcast has a pretty cool subsidy program, $10 a month for internet essentials. I know every city has like a different internet provider, but we also have like RCN that does like a $10 a month program. I know school and like distant learning has been like the major focus. So DC is rolling out a plan. I think it's a good plan. We are putting $3.3 million to pay for internet services for DC students. And then hopefully some of that leftover money could go elsewhere. But I guess like students are like really the priority in this distant learning thing. But there are a lot of options. I'm starting to see more governments seeing how important and how useful the Internet is for their age-friendly population. So I'm confident that people will get on board. Sometimes I think it's like many other things where we just have to keep asking until we get the answer we want. Because it sounds like you folks have come up with some ways and found some ways to help older adults access the internet so that they can use their technology and stay connected. So let's say that an older adult has a device, they have access to the internet, but they're still hesitant. How would you motivate an older adult to engage with younger people online? Is there something that you've talked about, said, or encouraged them some way you've done that so that we can bridge that intergenerational connection and make it stronger? What i found to be the most successful for me is when I try to correlate getting on the internet so you can amplify a certain interest or a certain cause. So let's say there's a new TV show out, right? And none of your buddies watch Dancing with the Stars. You can go on Facebook and find the Dancing with the Stars Facebook group. 
or most popular is due to COVID, like these rallies. There's rallies and marches everywhere. But a lot of my age-friendly friends who used to march back in the day can't quite go outside and march today. They're kind of motivated them to go to Facebook on these Facebook groups so they could give advice to like, if you got pepper spray, then you should do this or you shouldn't go to this area because of X, Y, and Z. What I found is common interest. It has kind of been what helped some of my seniors, but again, it's because none of their peers are interested in what they're interested in. So they have to find this group elsewhere. So Facebook groups has been like a big help for my seniors. So really what you're talking about is how we use technology as a tool to build community and help people stay connected because you're talking about folks finding that community and still feeling like they can be activists, they can be engaged. So have you seen other ways that technology has been used for building community? Our programs now, especially our virtual programs, have kind of built we call them online communities, virtual communities. So we have a lot of recurring programming, health and wellness programming, advocacy programming, groups of people who are coming together on a scheduled and routine basis to stay connected. And, you know, those connections persist or continue outside of just what Senior Planet is offering. So we see things developing like online book clubs or after hours discussion groups where we might provide technology for people and kind of step away. So I think you can foster community online through technology with older adults. It's really, I think, keying in on what's relevant for people as they age and crafting the support and the program interventions that people really find interesting and that aren't kind of like misguided by, hey, let's do bingo because everyone's old. It's like, that's not really what everyone wants. You know, people are dynamic and they have goals even as they age. So you really have to, I think, spend time listening to people in order to foster that community. What I think about when I was listening to Adrian too talk about some of the demonstrations that have been occurring lately and how that's been tough for some of us that are older trying to weigh in, you know, can we get out during a pandemic? How can we do this safely? But yet, you know, we feel so committed. And so to provide the opportunity through technology to still be able to rabble rouse a little bit, I think is wonderful. I remember my very first intergenerational program, probably over 40 years ago, I remember people saying, oh, isn't it wonderful because older adults would come into this teenage mother program program that I was involved with and they would rock the babies. And what I said after a while was, well, you know, older adults may have been happy rocking babies, but now they want to rock the boat. You know, they want to do something. They want to feel like that purpose in their lives continues. So technology really can provide that venue. The one thing that I always find kind of interesting is we had a youth technology project once. And so I was on a panel with a 16-year-old and his 82-year-old mentee. And they were really comparing something on their phones. And as I overheard what they were saying, it was the older mentee who was introducing the 16-year-old to a new app that he had just found. And I remember just thinking how wonderful it was that that cross-generational learning. Have you ever had an experience that kind of surprised you in the work that you've done in getting older and younger people connected online or older adults online? In 2019, I've taught over like 500 senior citizens. So if you met my CTO, Lizzie Parker, she would say there's nobody who taught more seniors in Washington, D.C. than Adrian Sutton. But what I've noticed, or most interesting to me, is that the 90 plus students, they are like the rock star students. They are the ones that, you know, kind of get it more than the rest of the class. They want to learn it more than the rest of the classes. I had one student, she was 100 years old. And she was like fully engaged. She wanted to learn how to watch free movies on her phone and things like that. I guess that's what really makes pop up to me is that technology isn't based on age, right? It's really just based on interest. So if you're interested in this, then you could get as much as you want to get out of it. So I thought it was pretty rewarding to hear 90-year-olds interested in the internet and iPhones and stuff. 
I think that's great. I would say that's probably why she's still alive at 100 is because she's so engaged in learning new things. We all need to keep learning new things. And I think that that really leads also to the role that younger people can play that helps both younger people feel like they're contributing and have purpose and really support older adults too. Alex, did you have anything you wanted to add? Oats actually doesn't do a tremendous amount of work intergenerationally. Like most of the stuff we've done is from the past have been with Generations United. We have done some other collaborations with tech volunteers and and AmeriCorps VISTA short-term placements that have been with us to kind of do a lot of kind of one-on-one coaching, what we call them tech talks. So I think there's a good synergy between what you mentioned, Donna, of having connecting an older person with a younger person, having them share their shared experience sort of inform both of them. I think that's really cool. I had no specific examples come to mind, but we have done that work in the past a little bit. Do either of you have ideas on if you were talking with a group of young people, what you would say to them to spark their interest in helping an older adult get more technologically savvy or get online? Any thoughts on that? To spark their interest, I feel like there has to already be an interest, uh, like that public servant or the help others type of feeling you get, you know? I've worked with young people who like specialize in working with senior citizens. And that is always a little bit easier. I go back to like the grandchild, grandparent scenario where I try to tell all grandchildren, at least teach their grandparents how to get to YouTube and how to type in, you know, tips and tricks. And they can always apply Facebook tips and tricks or Samsung tips and tricks. This is another thing I always like to say, too. Like the more you help them, the less they will call you to ask for help. So the more you willingly help, the less they will call you to ask you how to watch Patti LaBelle on Versus or Instagram or something like that. Isn't that always one of the secrets is not to fish for somebody, but teach them how to fish? Fish, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So they can keep, yeah, yeah. So that's a real skill. Alex, anything you want to add to that? I was just going to say, I mean, it's sort of what Adrian's saying is that you need to spark interest through tying it to something that's relevant or timely or, you know, linked to a goal in someone's life. So I think what happens is a lot of times when people approach sort of the intersection of aging and tech, it's almost to correct something or fix something, or there's sort of this like unique, weird, narrow lens applied to the tech. And it's like, oh, it can help you do, you know, medication reminding or something. And that I think completely misses the point. You need to, if you want someone to actually adopt technology wholeheartedly, you really need to spend the time linking like all of what's relevant to technology in their lives. So, I mean, what we try and do is when we first meet people and they come to us, we don't even ask them about technology. We ask them about what's going on in their life. You know, what's a big challenge you're working on or a goal you have. And then we try and funnel them into programs that have technology in them, but are really about broader themes. And I think that's really the key that a lot of people and groups miss when they're approaching this is sort of narrowing it down and focusing so singularly on the technology that people just, they don't incorporate it into their whole life. I think that's a hint that really shouldn't be lost in this, which is that if you make it about the technology, that can be sort of like overwhelming to people or like, oh boy, I can't do that. They don't see themselves. But if you build it around an interest area, like when Adrian was talking about the demonstrations and the rallies that have been held recently, when it's something that strikes somebody where they're interested and passionate, that that's where you meet them. I think that's really terrific. And just to follow up with that, like people generally just fear what they don't know. Right. And so if I don't know about technology, I'm not going to be so excited to get on my iPhone. Right. But if I know about television, if I know about protests, I may be a little bit more interested in, you know, seeking more information to better, again, amplify that. 
I love stories and I always feel like stories bring what we're talking about to life. You've woven in some of those, but I wanted to ask just if you had a favorite story about when you were working with an older adult and technology, if you had a favorite story, a favorite person that you wanted to share with our listeners. Most recently, this is the one that I felt super good about. Sometimes, you know, my job comes with a lot of patience and I don't get everybody, right? Everybody isn't like a fan of tech. So everybody doesn't cross over to the technology thing. But I had a young lady who I taught maybe late last year. I mean, she would always call me like maybe once a month just to help her out with something, whether it's Hamilton coming on Apple Plus and she wants to know how to hook that up. But most recently, due to the pandemic, there's a lot of virtual jobs that's going on now. So she called me because Washington Post must have had like a job posting about like virtual jobs, contract tracing. That's what it was. It was contract tracing, virtual job. And she was just so excited to apply for it because she just felt like this would be like a perfect job for her in her state and where she's at right now. And she's about in her 80s. So I just thought that was pretty cool that you have an 80 year old excited about applying for a virtual job. I think that's great. Yeah, that's my most recent win. I hope she got it. I hope she get it. I hope she get it. <laughs> Alex, anything you want to share? We have a lot of financial security programming and people who are trying to earn extra income with mm. technology. And we had someone come to us a couple of years back now, but she was actually facing eviction in New Jersey from her apartment. And she came to us. She used to be an editor and a writer when she was younger. She was in her late 70s when she came to us. And we introduced her to this online site it's called Elance, where you can bid out. So if people are looking for you know, specific writing needs, they could post it and you can bid on it and then fulfill it and they pay you. And she became one of the top Elance contributors. And she made, I think in her first year, made over $40,000 and was able to stay in the apartment that she'd lived in for decades. She attributed all of that to things she learned Senior Planet and at Oats. So those type of stories are really great. And then another one that we had recently virtually is another person learned how to become a poll worker virtually and do virtual election related work leading up to November. And you needed to learn how to use an iPad. She learned that from us online. And then with her extra income, she bought a 97 convertible Chrysler Sebring and started taking it to the beach to get out of the house during the pandemic. So you know, just those type of stories that don't really have anything to do with technology. They're really like just linking people to purpose and growth and happiness is I think really like those are the things I love the most. You know, it's so fun to talk with both of you because you can tell that you feel really good about what you're able to do because you know you're enhancing and you're making the older adults' lives richer and opening up such new horizons for them. I think it's really fabulous. And I think we're also fortunate that you are both dedicated to the work that you do, really making your communities much richer. So before we close, I just wanted to ask if there's anything else that you wanted to share, anything that I didn't ask you about that you want to be sure that you're able to get out to our listeners. If you go to techtogetherdc.com, this is essentially our plan, Washington, D.C.'s local government plan to combat and close the digital divide in D.C. So whether if you are just one of our partners, a nonprofit company, a academic company, a big tech company that wants to work with us to bridge the digital divide, whether if it's access, training, or just opportunities, please go to techtogetherdc.com dc.com just to give your support and just to, you know, stay abreast of what we're doing to close the divide. Thank you. Alex. If you go to seniorplanet.org and click on the tab that says join us online, we have 
over 50 programs every week, virtually free, no registration required for most of them. Anything from health classes to financial security, to advocacy, to creativity, to you name it, it's on there. And we also have a national hotline for people to call. The number's on our website, seniorplanet.org, where you can call in and get one-on-one support on tech issues and anything in between. So we have a whole kind of community and system of support on our website. So I really encourage people to check that out. Super. And I think we'll be able to link to both of your websites when we share this podcast too, because we want to make sure people know how to get a hold of you and how to access the resources you have. I wanted to share that we at Generations United also have a resource that we created several years ago with Penn State University and our colleagues in Spain. We did an international survey of intergenerational tech programs and put that together along with some hints in using technology to connect generations which is on our website. And also as a part of our COVID response work, we have been compiling good examples of programs and the way that many intergenerational specialists are pivoting to use technology until we can actually be socially close together rather than socially distanced, because I know that's what we all are very much looking forward to. We've also been offering a series of Zooms to help keep the community together and help share those ideas. So you can find all that on our website at Generations United. I want to thank everyone who's listening to us and listening to this podcast. I'd like to ask you to please leave a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or your other streaming platforms, because our goal with this is to reach people that we don't use usually reach through our intergenerational network. And so, of course, if you're going to rate us, we hope you rate us high. If you're not going to rate us high, then don't go on those platforms, please. (laughs) But we hope that you've enjoyed this show and those that we'll be doing in the future. I want to thank Alex and Adrian for making the time today to share their experiences, their wisdom, and I think really inspirational ideas about how we keep generations connected now and in the future. So thank you both for that. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you for having us. So for everybody out there, I'd like to remind you that if you don't have somebody younger in your life, find them. If you don't have somebody older in your life, find them. Because those intergenerational connections are what really make us stronger. And we are stronger together. So this is Donna Butts signing off. And thank you for joining us today.